This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We have a really good show for you guys today. If you've been following along all week, this has been a massive preview week for the Hockey Hotbed. We had videos of our Central Division preview go out on Monday. We had our Atlantic Division preview podcast out on Tuesday. We have a couple of other videos up on our YouTube channel at the Hockey Hotbed Podcast. And now we have, on Friday, to round out our full week of previews, my Pacific Division preview. That'll come up in later segments. And then, of course, the only one we have left is the Metropolitan Division. We will get into that on next week's podcast, next Tuesday's podcast of the Hockey Hotbed. But for right now, we're going to start off with some news from around the league because last episode, there wasn't that many news stories over the weekend. But since then, we've had some pretty decent stories throughout the week. And we've had a pretty consistent level of things to talk about here in the hockey universe. Let's start with the New Jersey Devils. Their goaltender, Mackenzie Blackwood, it came out that he is not vaccinated. And he will not be vaccinated for the start of the NHL regular season. Now, what that basically means for him is he's not going to play in any games for the New Jersey Devils that take place in Canada. Luckily for them, they don't have any Canadian teams in their division. There's no Canadian teams in the Metropolitan Division. So realistically, he's looking at missing nine games for the simple fact that he is not vaccinated. And due to the NHL structure and the way that they put the rules in about COVID-19, he will have to forfeit any pay that would come from those games. Now, when you look at the New Jersey Devils, and we'll get into it next week when we have our full Metropolitan Division preview, You look at a team that, if they're going to make the playoffs this season, if they're going to contend in that division, they're going to need every single point they can get. And going into the season, knowing your starting goaltender, your goaltender of the future and Mackenzie Blackwood, will not be available for any games played in Canada, at least until he's vaccinated. Because between now and then, he can still get vaccinated. I did not see why he's not vaccinated, if it was a personal choice, if it had to deal with health. I have not seen the reasoning behind Mackenzie Blackwood not being vaccinated. And he might not have given one. He doesn't have to. But the point is, he will not play in any of those nine games. I'm curious to see is if they make the playoffs, which that is an if because they are in a really difficult division and probably the harder of the two conferences. If the Devils are able to go out there and make the postseason and they have to play, say, a Toronto Maple Leafs team, or if they have to play possibly the Montreal Canadiens, what happens? I mean... He might be vaccinated by that point, but if he's not, what are you going to do? That's that's a story for later, and that is a big if, of course, with the New Jersey Devils making the postseason. I did like what they did in the offseason, but again, difficult division, difficult conference. News is, Mackenzie Blackwood, as of right now, not set to play in any of the nine games for the New Jersey Devils in Canada. We'll keep, obviously, an eye on that story as the season progresses. 
whenever the Devils decide to go and have a game scheduled in Canada. We'll see if that is still a storyline, but we'll check back on that. A couple days after that, Tampa Bay General Manager Julian Brisebois signs his contract extension. Now, the details in terms of this deal were not given, which, you know, in an age where all of the negotiating between Brisebois and these player agents is basically put out for the world to see, I'm surprised that they're keeping the terms of this deal under wraps. I guess it doesn't make that big of a difference because it doesn't affect the salary cap, and that's what most hockey fans really want to know the contract terms because of, but the terms of Brisebois' extension were not given. Now, what we did learn is the fact that he is entering the last year of his current deal. So, realistically, it, it's about time for Julian Brisebois to get a contract extension. I mean, the guy is a master manipulator of the salary cap. You see what he did last season to be able to get all those players to technically be cap compliant with the use of LTIR for Nikita Kucherov and everything that happened in that situation. It was all done legally and it was all done because of Brisebois and his understanding of how the salary cap works, his understanding of the rules and regulations of the NHL, and honestly, his understanding of contract negotiations. Because, yeah, he, he manipulated the salary cap, but he also still had to manipulate where he was at with all of his player contracts to be able to put this team together and have this team out on the ice. Tampa Bay's roster last postseason was preposterous, and that is in large part due to Julian Brisebois. I think we also need to give some credit to Steve Eiserman, who was the architect of the early stages of this team, but Brisebois picked up from where Eiserman left off and just, he took it to another level. And that's why he's a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion general manager. It, they didn't even tell us how long Brisebois' contract is for, but I mean, it, as long as he keeps taking Tampa Bay to Stanley Cup finals like he has been doing, or at least keeping them competitive and keeping the roster looking the way it does, he's probably going to continue to be the general manager in Tampa Bay until he decides to quit. I mean, it's basically what Jim Rutherford had, but Brisebois is not that old. Jim Rutherford was not going to get fired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Brisebois is not going to get fired by the Tampa Bay Lightning unless they fall off a cliff, which if you look at the roster and if you go back to Tuesday's episode and listen to what I, I talked about when I talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning, and if you go back to the series premiere, the first ever episode of the Hockey Hotbed, when I talked to Chase Croshaw of the Bolts broadcast about the Tampa Bay Lightning, everything we said there, it does not seem like Tampa Bay is heading for a serious drop-off. I don't think it's going to happen. The last thing I do want to mention before we go to our Pacific Division preview is my play of the week. The Hockey Hotbed play of the week. If you want to see the play of the week, go visit our social media pages at Hockey Hotbed Pod on Twitter and the Hockey Hotbed on Instagram. But the play that you're going to see for play of the week is, is from Tyson Berry of the Edmonton Oilers. It is preseason. So everybody's warming up a little bit, but Tyson Berry's mitts, they are in regular season form. I mean, a gorgeous shootout goal in a preseason game against the Seattle Kraken. Unfortunately, I, I didn't figure out who was in net for that. I should probably go look at it, but just an absolute forehand backhand deke puts it top shelf, completely leaves the goaltender in a blender. It was just fun to actually see some hockey highlights come out this past week with the start of preseason games, and that was one of the top ones, Tyson Berry. I'm not a fan of the shootout personally, but that shootout goal was 
everything you would want out of a shootout goal. We see some some really bad shootout attempts and some really bad shootout saves, but this this was peak performance by Tyson Berry. The Edmonton Oilers are going to need a lot more of that if they're going to want to contend this year. And let's get into it. I mean, we're talking about two teams here, the Edmonton Oilers and the Seattle Kraken. They're in the Pacific Division. Are they both going to be playoff teams? You know, I'll, I'll give you my opinions. But first, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to kick off our Pacific Division preview with who I expect to be in the bottom four of this division. We'll be right back. Week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Listen up, because you don't want to miss this. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any game this week to receive $150 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not available in your state, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game this weekend. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed, presented as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We are getting so close, 11 days away from the kickoff of the NHL season. I guess puck drop is probably the better word to use, but we're 11 days away from puck drop. It's going to be a fun opening night as well with a great doubleheader over on ESPN. We have starting off, obviously, the defending back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning taking on the Pittsburgh Penguins. The previous team to go back-to-back in, in the opener as we get to see Tampa Bay raise their second consecutive cup banner. And then later in the evening, at about 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, the shirt I have on and the hat I have on are going head-to-head. The Vegas Golden Knights take on the Seattle Kraken in the first ever actual Seattle Kraken game. The first regular season game, I should say. They've looked pretty good in the preseason. As of right now, they're 2-1. and one. But realistically, the big thing you want to look at is their jerseys, and their jerseys are gorgeous. So we have that. It's going to be a fun, fun night come opening night in 11 days here. But let's get into our Pacific Division preview, starting with our bottom four teams. Actually, neither of those teams I just mentioned are going to be in my bottom four. There is going to be some teams in my bottom four that, honestly, I I don't know if they're going to finish in the bottom four because I don't know much about this division heading into this season. I mean, to me, it is the weakest division in hockey right now. It's going to be the weakest division in hockey this season because you have a couple teams that are clearly on a rebuild. You have a couple teams that are coming out of a rebuild. You have a brand new NHL franchise in Seattle. And then even the top end. I mean, we'll talk about Edmonton. 
and then Vegas. So we'll, we'll discuss all of this, obviously, in the next 30, 40 minutes or so. But I do want to start out with the bottom four. And I'm going to start nowhere other than the San Jose Sharks. Last season, they finished seventh out of eight in the West Division, which, again, was a very weird division because it was top-heavy. You had your Colorados. You had your Las Vegas team. You had Minnesota, who has moved on to the Central. Minnesota was a good team last year. And then San Jose, Anaheim, LA last year was not good. And obviously all three of those California teams are in the Pacific Division. But San Jose was weird because they have been so good and so consistently in the postseason for so long. It's weird to see them that bad over an entire season. They finished 7th out of 8. They were not particularly good. They didn't really add anything. I mean, are they in a rebuild? I would imagine so. But at the same time, I look at that roster and there's plenty of pieces that they can trade to help them get started on a rebuild. They just haven't yet. So are they rebuilding? I don't know. Are they retooling? Maybe. I mean, you look at their additions this season. They bring in a couple veterans in Andrew Cogliano and Nick Benino. And when I see that, I don't see that as retooling. To me, I see that as filling in roster spots. So I don't know where the San Jose Sharks are. Maybe they're comfortable with their prospect pool, which they do have a pretty decent prospect pool. But at the same time, it's not anywhere near what you see from the other California teams. Maybe they're hoping that their top-end talent can stick around and still produce once their their prospects are, are ready to go. But bringing in guys like Andrew Cogliano and like Nick Bonino, that doesn't give me confidence that this team is, is going to be good this year. <laughs> doesn't give me confidence that this team is going to be fun to watch this year either. I mean, they did get rid of Martin Jones, who, who for a while there, it seemed like they needed to cut the cord. Obviously, they probably have some some pretty good memories with Martin Jones. He helped take them the entire way to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2016, but since then has just not been up to snuff. We'll see what he does out in Philadelphia as a backup to Carter Hart, but I think it is a good move for San Jose to move on from Martin Jones. I think it was a little, little, little too long from when they should have, but they got rid of him, bring in James Reimer, an experienced guy that's going to be able to start 40, possibly 50 games if you need him to, and he's, he's going to be okay. He's going to be able to keep you in most of the games he's going to start. And then you bring in a guy like Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill is a really good goaltender. He's he's a guy that hasn't really had the chance to prove it coming over from Arizona. But he, he's going to be a good goaltender. I wouldn't be surprised if these two guys split this season evenly. I wouldn't be surprised if they each finished with 41. Now, that never happens. But, I mean, you have two goaltenders that are, that are pretty interesting. They're going to keep you in games, and they're going to keep San Jose, especially in division matchups when you look at some of the teams they're going to be playing and the amount of times they're going to be playing them. They're going to keep them in those games and allow them to possibly stay out of the basement of this division. Now, I think there is kind of a jump between San Jose and the bubble teams in this division. Now, I also think Anaheim's in the same boat as San Jose. I don't put Anaheim as a bubble team this year. Not yet. But when I look at, at San Jose, it's weird just because it doesn't seem like they're committed to a rebuild. It looks like they're trying to retool. But then when I look at the tools that they added, yeah, Nick Benino is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. But, you know, he's a third-line center. 
And if you're going to have to have him as a second line center on this team, which I don't know, I haven't, I haven't really looked too deeply into what they're doing right now in camp. But when you look at their additions, it just doesn't inspire a lot of hope for the San Jose Sharks. I'm not sure which direction they're heading in, and that's never a good thing. Now, another team that's not going to be a bubble team this year, it'd kind of be in the same spot as the San Jose Sharks. That's the Anaheim Ducks. The Ducks have been so bad after being so good for so long. I mean, they won the Pacific Division, what, five years in a row? Up until, really, the Vegas Golden Knights entered the league, they were the class of the Pacific Division. Anaheim and San Jose. So, yeah, it's not a surprise that now they're both in the same boat again at the bottom of this division. And when I look at Anaheim, yeah, you know what? They're, they're going to have entertaining players. They are. They're not going to be an entertaining team to watch. They haven't been in a while. I, I hate to say it, but they, they have not been an entertaining team for a long time since Ryan Getzlav wasn't the oldest guy on that team. He's still there, which is good. I mean, you need somebody to teach these young guys. But I think when I look at the future for the Anaheim Ducks, it's brighter than it is for San Jose. I mean, I might be off on that, but when I look at some of the players that they have coming up, and when I look at some of the players San Jose has coming up, I lean towards Anaheim. Like I said, entertaining players this season, not going to be an entertaining team. I mean, you're going to have trade speculation all year. That's going to be the biggest thing for the Anaheim Ducks. That's going to be where they're in the national spotlight the most is are they going to trade Ricard Raquel finally? And are they going to get rid of John Gibson? Last year, you saw John Gibson in a lot more trade rumors than he has ever been in. Yet he is still wearing the Anaheim Ducks colors. Is that going to continue throughout this season? I'm not sure. There's going to be some teams that are going to need goaltending. There's going to be some teams that are going to want to push for the postseason. They're going to need goaltending. And they're probably going to offer Anaheim an arm and a leg to bring in a guy like John Gibson. Whether or not that actually happens, I don't know. Because I expected John Gibson to go during the season last season. I expected John Gibson to be traded in the offseason. Same with Ricard Raquel. So we'll obviously have to follow that. But that's going to be the biggest reason why Anaheim's in the national media. Other than that, there's probably not going to be a lot of talk about the Anaheim Ducks. There's going to be one other thing that people are going to mention. And I'll talk about that in a second. I mean, Anaheim over the last couple of seasons, have, has been one of the lowest scoring teams in the NHL. While the Pacific Division is not necessarily a division where you need to score a lot of goals, like you don't need to be in the top 10 in the NHL in scoring to contend in the Pacific Division. That's, that's not where you're going to need. But you're going to need to score a lot more than Anaheim does. Because that team, they, don't, they just struggle putting the puck in the back of the net. And part of that has been they don't have the pieces. Part of that has been... They are in the midst of a rebuild. They actually broke down the entire team. Other than, you know, they still have Jacob Silverberg and they still have Getzlaff. But other than that, they traded away basically everything that wasn't nailed down to the floor. So we'll see. They're not technically coming out of it yet. I, I think they're still rebuilding. But they're getting close to the end of it. It's going to be fun to see when some of these young players are able to come up and start making an impact for the Anaheim Ducks. Now... When I say that, look at some of their young players that are going to actually play this season. They're going to be fun to watch. That's what I say when I mean they're going to have some entertaining players. Max Comtois, Trevor Zegras, and Jamie Drysdale. Those three guys, it's going to be fun to watch their progression as they get more experience in the NHL, as they get more reps, as they're given more responsibilities in Anaheim. And of those three players, obviously the player that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the most is going to be Trevor Zegras because he's going to have a call to race here this year. 
He's one of the odds-on favorites, him and his buddy Cole Caulfield. I still think Marco Rossi is the guy. But Trevor Zegers is going to be one of the leading names for the Calder Trophy this year. That's going to be a big storyline. So when I'm looking at the Ducks, I'm looking at, okay, are they going to trade Raquel? And are they going to trade Gibson? And then how is Trevor Zegers doing in the Calder race? That's what I'm watching for the Anaheim Ducks. Because as far as contending, it, it is not their time yet. They're still in a rebuild, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not a team that's going to garner much national attention. It's not a team that's going to be close to a playoff spot. Both the Ducks and the Sharks, they're going to be at the bottom of this division. Moving on to the LA Kings. Now, if you want a more in-depth look than what I'm going to give here about the LA Kings, go back to episode five of the Hockey Hotbed as I was interviewing Jordy Cunningham of the Kings Den. And we went really in-depth about the Los Angeles Kings and why they could be a surprise playoff team this year. And a big reason for it, and both Jordy and myself agree, is because of how weak this specific division is. And this is going to be the first of four teams that I'm going to talk about that I think are all going to vie for that number three seed in this division. I think there's a clear top two, there's a clear bottom two, and then there's four teams that could go really either way. Los Angeles Kings, I think, probably have the least opportunity out of those four teams. But looking at them, they're ready to come out of their rebuild. This team won two Stanley Cups, one in 2012, one in 2014. Completely broke the team down, except for a, a couple of core pieces, and have rebuilt that system to be one of the best prospect pools in the NHL. One of the best prospect pools I can remember. And I know I'm only 25 years old, but one of the best prospect pools of the salary cap era right now. There's a lot of promise. Now they have to hit on all of these, but there's a lot of promising young players for the LA Kings. Cal Peterson as a goaltender. He's going to be the starter this year. He's been handed the reins. If you needed any more proof of that, look at his extension. Now, he's still playing this year on his previous deal, but he was given a pretty hefty extension to be the LA Kings starting goaltender. They still have Jonathan Quick there. There was trade rumors again and trade speculation again for Jonathan Quick. But Quick is in a, a contract year right now, so I think it's probably going to be it's probably going to be Cal Peterson as the starter, Jonathan Quick there to mentor him. You see it all the time. And I think Cal Peterson is a pretty good goaltender. In this division, I think his numbers are going to be a little bit inflated, but realistically, he is a very talented goaltender in this league. And who is he going to be playing behind? That's always the important thing. This team has gotten a lot better. This team, is at least forward-wise, is pretty good defensively, especially if you look at their center depth. But this team also has young stars. Quentin Byfield. What are we going to see from him in year two? He didn't get a lot of playing time last year. So what are we going to see this year? What are we going to see from Alex Turcotte? What are we going to see from Arthur Kaliev? How much are these guys going to come up? How well are they going to play when they come up? Are they going to be able to make an impact on this year's team? That to me is the big question about whether or not this team is going to contend this year. Because if they don't get the contributions that they're hoping for out of those three guys and some of the other young guys that they're going to be pulling up during the season, then they're not going to be able to get a playoff spot. Because while these other teams that I'm going to mention have question marks, their question marks are a lot less important to their overall team than the Los Angeles Kings. If Byfield can't perform, 
how we're expecting him to. If Turcotte, if Kaliev can't perform how we're expecting them to. If Sean Dursey, who I'm not even sure if he's going to be NHL ready this year. If these guys don't come up and make an impact, it's going to be hard for the LA Kings to make an impact in this division. Now, with that in mind, I think the Kings added two very, very good pieces over the offseason and didn't really cost them all that much. Adding a guy like Philip Deneau to be one of your top two centers and adding a guy like Victor Arvidsson. Now, Deneau, uh, scoring-wise, doesn't add too, too much, but he does give you one of the best defensive centers in the NHL right now. You pair that with Andre Kopitar, this team, as far as center depth, you have those two guys, and then Quentin Byfield also plays center. So your top three centers are pretty solid, especially if Byfield hits. You have Kopitar, you have Deneau, and you have Byfield. That is why I look at this team and I say they have a chance. That, and I think Cal Peterson's going to be very good. That, and I think adding a guy like Victor Arvidsson on the wing, gives them a little bit more scoring. I think Arvidsson is primed to have a really good season with that change of scenery coming over from Nashville. So if this team wants to give the Andre Kopitars, the Drew Dowdies, the Dustin Browns one last run at it, they had to start this year. And they did. Those two moves, adding Philip Deneau, adding Victor Arvidsson. That shows me that Rob Blake is ready to come out of this rebuild and ready to start putting the pieces together to contend for a postseason spot. This will be the first year that they're going to be knocking on the door. Think of where the New York Rangers were a couple of seasons ago. That's where the LA Kings are going to be in a much less competitive division. So that's what you can expect from the LA Kings. Finishing off the bottom four, I have the Vancouver Canucks. Now, there's a lot of question marks around the Canucks because they're not as bad of a team as they were last season. I mean, last year, they were they were awful. They were not good whatsoever. Finishing in dead last in the Canadian division after being a surprise playoff team two years ago. I mean, they went into the second round and they gave Vegas all they could handle on the back of a really, a really good run by Thatcher Demko. But then last season, I mean, decimated by COVID stoppages, decimated by injuries, and, and you see what you get. A last place spot in the North Division. There were a lot of high hopes for Vancouver last season. They didn't basically meet any of those expectations. Now, when I look at what they've done in this offseason, when I look at their roster, they're not as bad as they were last season. If they can stay healthy. Now, if they run into injury issues again, Obviously, with any team, that's going to be difficult. Not many teams can withstand the injury issues that Vancouver went through last season. But I look at what Jim Benning did in the offseason. He made some interesting moves. He finally pulls the trigger on an OEL deal and brings in Oliver ekman Larson, which, yes, that is an awful contract, but Oliver ekman Larson, if he can play a little bit better, and by a little bit better, I mean a, a considerable amount better than he played in Arizona, then you can you can live with that. You can work around that. But the big thing was you also bring in a guy like Connor Garland. That helps a lot. I think Connor Garland is going to have a really good season in Vancouver. Connor Garland was very good for the Arizona Coyotes last year. And I'm excited to see him on this team. There's a lot more weapons on this Vancouver Canucks team than there were on the Arizona Coyotes. So we'll see what that does to Connor Garland's game. But I think it's going to go well. And here's the thing with this OEL deal. Jim Benning was also able to shed Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and Louis Erickson. Three players who, 
and you look at them, they had some pretty big cap hit numbers. And some of them are going to be off the books at the end of the year. But if you want to push for a playoff spot, you can't have three of those guys in your forward lineup. You, you just can't. And I get most of that money went to OEL. But at the same time, it, I think that was a good move to, to shed those guys because the way that you want to play does not fit with the way that those guys play the game. So able to shed Roussel, Beagle, and Erickson and bring in OEL and a guy like Connor Garland especially, that was nice. They were also able to shed two guys that came in last season and didn't have great years. Nate Schmidt was just never comfortable. Nate Schmidt being traded, he was happy in Vegas where he was. Having to be traded up into Vancouver, he did not have a good year. I expect him to be good in Winnipeg this year, but he just he struggled in Vancouver. That cap hit is off the books. You also bought out Braden Holtby. Now, when Vancouver brought in Braden Holtby, it was kind of probably to just hold down the fort until Thatcher Demko was ready. Braden Holtby had a really bad season. He struggled a lot. And, and honestly, he, he's a Stanley Cup winning goaltender. He was extremely, extremely good for a long time in Washington. And we'll see what he can do in Dallas. But moving on from Holtby, I think was probably the best idea for the Canucks. Because you look at Thatcher Demko, who at some point he's got to be ready. It feels like he has been waiting in the wings for a long time. And you bring in a guy like Yaroslav Halak, who is much more of the mentor slash backup. And he can be a 1B. I mean, we look at how good those Boston teams have been the last couple of seasons. A big reason is because Yaroslav Halak has been able to spell Tuka Rask. And those two together have been probably one of the best goaltending duos, probably top three each of the past, what, four seasons? So I like the addition of Halak. I think if it's going to be ever, it's got to be now for Thatcher Demko. When they lost Jacob Markstrom before last season and they brought in Braden Holpe, that to me, looked, I look at that and especially seeing what Thatcher Demko was able to do in the postseason, it's like, man, they still don't trust him. Now it seems like Jim Benning has a little bit more trust in Thatcher Demko. So we'll see how that goes. Now, of course, the biggest storyline when you look at this team is still the fact that they have to sign two massive RFAs. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, we're 11 days until the start of the regular season. And Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes are still not signed. That's huge. They need to figure this out. I mean, they have the cap space to sign probably one of them right now. But you need both of them. Pettersson had a down season last year. I would expect him to bounce back this year. Quinn Hughes did not play well defensively last season, and he did have a bit of a drop-off after being a Calder finalist the year prior. But he is still one of the top defensemen in this league. Maybe not defensive defensemen. When it comes to scoring defensemen, that's huge. And the Canucks need that. So which of these guys is going to be signed by the start of the regular season? I don't know. It'd be great if both of them would be signed. That's what we're hoping for. But I'm not sure both of them are going to be signed. I don't know what Jim Betting is going to do with that cap situation. Do they both get bridge deals? Who knows? Yeah, it makes you look at the OEL deal and say, wow, that you just kind of shot yourself in the foot because while you did shed a lot of cap space with the three guys you sent out, you brought in a crap ton of cap space on a guy that has been an underperforming player for a couple of years now. If Vancouver is not able to get deals done with Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, before the start of the season, it is going to hurt them. Because, like I said, there's four teams on a bubble here that could possibly make that 
last spot, that third spot in the Pacific Division. You can't start the season off without these two guys. I still think that the Vancouver Canucks have the makings of a really good hockey team. Obviously, a lot of talk about Vasily Podkolzin out of Vancouver this preseason. If you haven't heard that name, get ready to hear it a lot from Vancouver fans. Get ready to watch it. I mean, honestly, with this new ESPN deal, over 1,000 out-of-market games on ESPN+, Plus. there's only 1,300 games on an NHL calendar. We're going to get to see as much hockey as we want to see. And ESPN Plus is also not that expensive. So if you can get ESPN Plus in the States here, get ESPN Plus. It is going to be worth it as an NHL fan. I promise you that. And I'm very excited because now I get to watch a lot more out-of-market games like Vancouver Canucks games. Now I can keep an eye on guys like Vasily Podkolzin because you're going to want to. From everything I've heard, you're going to want to. Now, again, this is a bubble team for the Pacific Division. Their bubble playoff team. There's one of four that I'm, I'm putting down here. To me, it is the reason they're in the bottom four right now is what have you done for me lately? And lately they finished last in, <laughs> in the North Division last year. And they still have some star players unsigned. So there's question marks there. Are they going to be able to bounce back and be the team that we saw two seasons ago? I hope. They're going to need to be. But if they're not, they're still not going to make the playoffs, even in the weakest division in the NHL. I'm going to take a quick break. When I return, I'll give you... English is difficult. I'm going to give you my top four picks for the Pacific Division. Like I said, it's a weak division. Like I said, there's four bubble teams. I'm going to give you the last two of my bubble playoff teams in this division, and then I'll give you the top two in this division. But for right now, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Hockey Hotbed. Presented, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN when you visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app. That's promo code THPN when you visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app. We're finishing up our Pacific Division preview, and oh my goodness, I am so excited for the start of the regular season. I know I say this at the start of basically every segment, but even, even thinking of these teams, even thinking of the Anaheim Ducks and the San Jose Sharks and how little they're going to score this year, it still makes me excited. It makes me very excited because I missed hockey, and I know you guys have too. So let's finish off this Pacific Division preview. Previews are fun. Reviews are better. Game reviews, three stars of the week, stuff like that. So make sure you tune in during the regular season. We'll have all that and more here at the Hockey Hotbed. But continuing with this Pacific Division preview, the weakest division in all of hockey. I mean, they could prove me wrong. I said that last year about the North Division, and they send a team to the Stanley Cup Finals. So what do I know? Starting in the top four, I'm going to talk about the Seattle Kraken. The 32nd team in the NHL. I I went very deep into my thoughts and opinions on this team on Episode 3. So definitely go back and check out Episode 3 if you want to hear... I give a a lineup projection there, whether or not they can make the postseason. I explain all of my thoughts in a very long form on that episode. 
And I also talk about possible breakout performers. That's also a video on my YouTube channel at the Hockey Hotbed Podcast, so you can check that out as well. Plenty of content to go around. But I think this team was drafted in the expansion draft and was selected and was built to succeed in this division specifically. They're going to prevent a lot of goals because they have a really good combination of goaltenders. They have a pretty stout defense. And then they're going to score just enough goals to contend and compete. Philip Grubauer was a Vezina Trophy finalist last year, so I expect him, obviously, to be extremely talented again this year and play extremely well. Now, his numbers might dip a little bit because last year he was playing on the Colorado Avalanche. And yes, that team is still absolutely ridiculous. That team has one of the best defense cores in the NHL. Probably top two or top three, easily, if you ask anybody. Seattle doesn't quite have that, but they do have a really good defense core. They have a lot of big guys. They have some guys that can move the puck pretty well. I like the addition of Mark Giordano to be the leader on that back end. Jamie Alexiak, I think, is a very stout top four defenseman. Adding a guy like Vince Dunn is going to help with puck movement a lot. I think this team is going to be really good at keeping pucks out of their own net. And I also didn't even mention the fact that Chris Drieger is the second goaltender. And Chris Drieger was pushing Sergei Bobrovsky out of the starter's net two seasons ago. Last year, he played really well. And the only reason he wasn't kept is because Spencer Knight is going to be really good for that Florida Panthers team. So the Kraken have two great goaltenders. They have pretty good defensive system. They have a defensive-minded head coach and Dave Haxtall. So I think they're going to be a contender for the postseason. I think they're one of these bubble teams. I think they are built specifically for this division. Again, prevent goals and score just enough. That's what that's what they're they're going to do. I mean, their strength, if you look at it, is in their goaltending, as I just mentioned. And also the middle six. If you look at the forwards that the Seattle Kraken have, and they're going to have for the middle six, it's going to be able to contend with every single team in this division. Maybe not the Vegas Golden Knights, but the other six teams in this division, Seattle's not going to be outmanned and outgunned when it comes to forward depth, especially when it comes to the the middle six. They might not have the top-end talent that some of these other teams have, like the Edmonton Oilers, the Calgary Flames, but their middle six is going to be able to contend with every other team in this division and most other teams in the NHL. If I'm looking for a specific player, I'm looking at Alex Wenberg. I'm watching to see what he does. He played a lot better last season on Florida than he did previously in Columbus. And now he gets this opportunity. I think he's kind of a William Carlson-like player, a Riley Smith-type player, So obviously keep an eye on him, but I'm not going to go too much deeper into the Seattle Kraken because I did a lot on episode three of the Hockey Hotbed. I'm going to move on right now to the Calgary Flames. I don't know what this team is. I never do. Like, what are they? Are they a contending team? Are they a top team in the division? Are they a bottom feeder? I don't know. Are they a bubble team? That's where I'm putting them right now just because they have the players and on paper... They have a pretty good team. And then you see what happened most of last season. Again, same thing with Vancouver. Some issues with COVID schedule changes and some underperforming players. But what are the Calgary Flames? They finished four points out of a playoff spot last season. I don't know necessarily what they were. They loaded up last year like they were going to go contend. 
You know, you add a guy like Jacob Markstrom and Nett, who you expected to be the end-all, be-all great goaltender. And he was pretty decent for them. I mean, he, he played pretty well. Only a 904 save percentage last year. Not amazing. But, I mean, that should be good enough if your team is good enough, and that should be good enough considering what the Calgary Flames look like on the rest of their roster. You lose your captain and Mark Giordano, that's going to sting. But I look at what they added also. I mean, they 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 paid that, that cup champion tax for Blake Coleman. But he's going to be a good addition to this team. He's going to help them. So it's not like he's not going to be a good player for them. He might not ever live up to that contract. But again, that that's the Stanley Cup champion tax. And the guy just won back-to-back cups in Tampa. They have yet to trade Johnny Gaudreau. So we're going to have to put up with another season of, is Johnny Gaudreau going to be traded? And the answer is probably going to be no, like it has been for the past couple of seasons. Why would you trade a guy like that? I mean, yeah, he, he might have struggled a little bit, but he is still one of the best players on your team. Right? I mean, <laughs> am I wrong here? Is there some reason that Johnny Gaudreau is always on the hockey trading block? I mean, to me, it, it, it doesn't make too much sense. Last year in 56 games, he had 49 points. The year prior, he had 58 points in 70 games. And the year before that, he scored 99 points in the last full season he's played in the NHL. Why are you trading him? Why are you threatening to trade him? I shouldn't say, why are you trading him? Because they don't. So they still haven't traded Johnny Gaudreau. We're going to have to probably put up with that again all year. But realistically, he's probably going to play for that team and he's probably going to play well because, you know, he usually does. The biggest question that I think is going to be what we see from Matthew Kachuk. Is he going to continue to take steps forward? This is a contract year for him. So there are a couple things that are for certain. One, that he's probably going to end up holding out. Especially after the comments he made about Brady's current holdout, his brother. Yeah, he's a Kachuk. He's holding out a little bit. He's finally a Kachuk. Well... I'm guessing we can expect Matthew Kachuk, if he's not given the deal that he wants, to hold out next year in Calgary. But my question about Matthew Kachuk is, is he finally going to reach a point per game? He has been within 10 points of that the last couple of seasons. So is he finally going to reach a point per game here in a full season? I think he does. I personally am of the belief that Matthew Kachuk is a very talented player in this league. He's the face of that franchise right now, for sure. Especially after Mark Giordano left, he's the face of that franchise. I get Sean Monaghan is is a really important player for them. I understand Johnny Gaudreau has, has been the face for a while there. But when you're lo- looking at national media, Matthew Kachuk is the face of that franchise. Does he reach a point per game this year? That is the big question to me. I think he does. But when I look at this team when it comes to playoff contention this year and whether or not I think they're going to be that three seed, and the reason that I've talked about them last is because I think they are the most likely. But realistically, I mean, I can never pin down what the Calgary Flames are. But what I look at is their roster. What I look at is their goaltenders. And Jacob Markstrom in his second season there and bringing over Dan Vladar from Boston to back him up. I think that's a pretty stout goaltending duo. And I think I look at that top end, the Matthew Kachuk, Johnny Gaudreau, adding Blake Coleman, having Sean Monahan, having Lindholm there. That team should be a playoff team in this division. 
that team should not have issues beating the San Jose Sharks, the Anaheim Ducks of the world. That team should have a leg up on a team like the Los Angeles Kings that should have a leg up on the expansion team, the Seattle Kraken. So yeah, they. if I'm looking at these bubble teams, they're my favorite to take that three seed going into the season. Now, whether or not they do that, that's if they meet expectations. Last year, they didn't meet expectations and they missed the playoffs. This year, what's going to happen? And they're, they're in a weaker division than they were last season. Last season, at least you could argue Toronto's in there. They're difficult to beat. You have Winnipeg in there. They're a tough team. Edmonton is tough with Connor McDavid. And then Montreal Canadiens were what the Montreal Canadiens were last season. But when you look at the Calgary Flames, they should be a playoff team. If they play to their expectations, they will be a playoff team. But that's always the question with Calgary is can they meet their expectations? And that's going to be the question once again this season. Now, that's the that's it for the, the bubble teams. Let's talk about the top two teams in this division, starting with the Edmonton Oilers. I don't think the Edmonton Oilers are going to be able to really threaten to win this division. But, I mean, how many years can you go in Connor McDavid's career without making a serious playoff run? They've shown now that they can make the postseason. But can they make a serious playoff run? I mean, last year we were talking about how it was all set to basically walk Connor McDavid to the second round of the playoffs for the second time in his career. They go out there and they get embarrassed by the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to talk too bad about it. This team is, I mean, the Winnipeg Jets, I mean, are a very good team. And they're my dark horse to win the Stanley Cup this year. Is the Winnipeg Jets. So I don't want to go too, get too hard on the Edmonton Oilers for losing to them. But I mean, they, they didn't even really put up a fight. But when I look at them this season, obviously McDavid and Dreisaitl are probably once again going to finish in the top five in NHL scoring. That could be expected. And McDavid himself, I mean, you look what he did last season. He almost scored two points per game. He scored, what, 106 points in 50, 55 games? 56 games? He played all, every game in that season? It's ridiculous. He's hitting the prime of his career. This is going to be the most fun we've ever had watching Connor McDavid play hockey. And yes, luckily he's in a bad division, so his team probably is going to make the postseason. And his team is probably going to win a lot of hockey games. But when I look at the rest of this team, man, the same questions every year. And it makes me wonder, do they understand what is what is going wrong? Do they understand what their weaknesses have been? I get you're a little handcuffed because you're paying Connor McDavid all the money. You're also paying Leon Dreisettle all the money, but they're also producing and covering that. Get them a little bit of help. They did. I like the addition of Zach Hyman this year. I think that's going to be a good help. I think that adds something to this team that they haven't had before. I think it's a little bit of an expensive price, but that's what you're going to pay in free agency. Zach Hyman's going to have a good season. That's going to help. Especially if he plays with Connor McDavid, which we were all expecting him to do. And honestly, when I look at Connor McDavid, and I see the guy on the screen right now, if you're watching the YouTube video, I look at Connor McDavid and I see a guy that's going to put up 130 points this season. So what he's going to do. If he can stay healthy, which, I mean, everything that I say is barring injury. I see a guy that can put up 130 points this year. And it's not particularly close. Yeah, last season he almost put up two points per game, but you also have to realize a lot less travel, playing the same teams, 
playing Calgary, who was bad last year, playing Vancouver, that was bad last year, playing Ottawa, who started off the year abysmal, playing the Jets, who were trying to figure out who they were most of the time in the regular season. Yeah, they he should have put up those points. And this year, he should put up those points again. He's not going to be a two-point-per-game player, but I can see him reaching 130 points this year. It would not surprise me in the least. But again, like I said, when it comes to this team, it's not about making the postseason anymore. It's about winning in the postseason. And the goaltending, that is my biggest question mark right there. Obviously, they have the same questions as always. Is their defense good enough? You add a guy like Duncan Keefe, is, is, is that going to help? I don't, I don't know. So I have questions about their defense. Their forward depth is a question. Okay, yeah, you have year two of Jesse Puglia-Yarby. You bring back RNH. You sign Zach Hyman. Clearly, you have the two best, two of the best players in the NHL with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. Who else is there? I mean, you're kind of just throwing shit to the wall and seeing what sticks with the rest of that lineup. That's a question for me. Yeah, I understand that when you have a guy like McDavid, it's not as big of an issue because he's going to put up literally two, three points a game. That's what he did last season, and I'm, I'm pretty positive that he's going to do that most of the time this year too. But the depth is what you're going to need in the postseason because the people are going to be able to cue in on a guy like Connor McDavid. We saw it last postseason with what P.L. Dubois was able to do to McDavid in the first round. So that's going to be a question for me. And then the goaltending. Like I said, I have a picture of Miko Koskinen up right now. Miko Koskinen at 33 years old and Mike Smith at 39 years old? Really? This is the best that you guys can do. And they've been running it back with this for a long time. Not to say that either of those guys are particularly bad goaltenders in the league. But they're not great either. You're telling me you couldn't figure out anybody else to bring in. And Mike Smith in his career, when he's been on, he's been very, very good. When he's been off, he's been very, very bad. Is that a dice you want to roll? I mean, you're rolling a pair of dice here with Koskinen and Mike Smith. I'm not sure I trust that goaltending duo. Do I trust them in the regular season? Yeah. I, I trust that they're going to be able to keep as many goals out as Connor McDavid is going to put in. I trust that McDavid is going to be able to outscore and Dreisaitl is going to be able to outscore opponents. But when we get into the postseason, you got to win four of seven. And McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers have only done that once. And that was a while ago. I mean, we're, we're talking five seasons ago since Connor McDavid has been in the second round. And that was the only time in his career. That's what you got to start measuring things up against. We see his draft mate, Jack Eichel, and see everything that's going on with him and, and how he's trying to get out of Buffalo. Realistically, how far behind is Connor McDavid right now? It's the questions you have to ask right now, because, I mean, yeah, he's one of the best players in the NHL. Yeah, he's he's extremely, extremely talented. Yeah, he's going to be the best player in the league this year. Does it matter at all if you can't win in the postseason? I mean, you know Connor McDavid wants to win in the postseason. Will this team be able to? I don't know. Will they be able to make the playoffs in this division? Yes. Yeah, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers will be in the postseason. They're probably going to finish in the two spot. If I had to put money on it, they'd finish in the two spot. But will they win in the postseason? I'm not so sure. Maybe if they finish in the two spot and they play a team like the Calgary Flames, maybe. Just because I don't know 
how the Calgary Flames are going to be ever in the postseason, especially. I want to finish off this episode with the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, this team, listen, if you're looking for safe money, put money on the Vegas Golden Knights, a futures bet to win the Pacific Division. That's probably the safest money you're going to get in the NHL right now. I mean, this is what, year five of existence, and they're a perennial favorite in this division? I talked about the Winnipeg Jets on last Friday's episode and said, hey, three of the last four seasons, the team that has beaten them has gone on to the Stanley Cup final. Well, Vegas Golden Knights, even more impressively, three of the past four seasons, the Vegas Golden Knights themselves have been in the Stanley Cup semifinals. The Western Conference Finals, two of those years, and of course last year, the Stanley Cup semifinals where they lost to the Montreal Canadiens. This team is always there. This team is always finding ways to win in the postseason. Now they struggle to score in the postseason, but they find ways to win, especially in the first and the second round. And this team is always extremely talented, and extremely, extremely good at winning regular season hockey games. They challenged for the President's Trophy last year. We're not able to get it. But this year, in this division, they are the odds-on favorite for good reason. I have a question about this team. Are they heels? I mean, this, this podcast that I'm on right now, our intent is to cover all 32 teams in the NHL. So, if you're a Vegas fan... Ignore this question. If you're a fan of any of the other 31 teams in the NHL, are the Vegas Golden Knights the bad guys now? Because they came into the league as the rough and and scrappy underdogs, went to the Stanley Cup final, were still the underdogs against Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals. Okay, that was their first season. The, the second season, you saw what happened to them in that first round series against the San Jose Sharks. Oh, they were screwed. Okay, so people back them. They're the baby faces again. Are they finally the heels now? Was the Marc-Andre Fleury trade the nail in the proverbial coffin that they are no longer baby faces? I mean, that matched with the fact that now we have the Seattle Kraken is the plucky up the plucky youngsters, I guess. Is that that's that the way the way to put it? I don't know. I mean, the way they handled the Fleury trade, then you go back. The way they handled getting rid of Nate Schmidt, then you go back. The way they handled firing Gerard Gallant. And bring in Peter DeBoer. I mean, are these guys the bad guys? Is that how you look at them? If you're one of the other 31, a fan from one of the other 31 fan bases. I'd like to know that. I mean, let me know. Go over to my Twitter page, at HockeyHotBedPod. Let me know. Are the Vegas Golden Knights the bad guy going into the season? Or are they still the babyface in this league? Now with that, I do want to actually talk about their team. I mean, they trade Marc-Andre Fleury, which is the biggest move in the offseason, which means this guy, the Panda, Robin Leonard, is now the guy. He is the starter. They bring in Loren Brassois to back him up, but Robin Leonard is going to carry the load in Vegas. Something that he has done before. Something I didn't notice is Robin Leonard's going into his 12th NHL season. I talked about Sergei Bobrovsky going into his 12th season. Robin Leonard's been here just as long as Bobrovsky. That's hard to believe. Now, he's been one of the top goaltenders only since he went to the Islanders a couple seasons back, but he is going to be one of the top goaltenders again. He faced a little bit of injury issues last season, hoping for a full season this year. And if you listen to his interview on the Spit and Chicklets podcast, you understand that this guy, I mean, he's a character. 
He has personality. It's something that we ask for from every NHL player because it doesn't seem like they do. Robin Leonard has personality. He's a great Twitter follow. He's a great goaltender. And now he has the reins in Vegas. No more goalie controversy. No more Marc-Andre Fleury. No more Vesna Trophy winner. It's all on Robin Leonard this season. That's going to be a fun storyline to watch. How can Robin Leonard play as the starter for that team? Now, it helps that he's playing behind such a good team. I mean, you look at even just strictly their defense. Alec Martinez, Shea Theodore, and Alex Petrangelo. I mean, come on. And then you talk about the fact that their star player, their their starting center is Mark Stone, who is perpetually a Selkie Trophy nominee. Yeah, he has a lot of help there. But he's also a very talented goaltender. So we'll see what happens in his first year. I expect nothing but, honestly, possibly a Vezina nomination this year for Robin Leonard. We'll see. But it is his team to lose now. There's no more controversy there's nothing else like that going on in Vegas. Which, good for him. Honestly. It might make it easier in Vegas right now. A little less goalie controversy, a little more just winning hockey games, which is what they do. Now, a big blow for them is Alex Tuck will miss the beginning of the season after having off-season shoulder surgery. He was placed on long-term injured reserve, so a little bit of cap help there, but you would much rather have a guy like Alex Tuck in the lineup than out of the lineup. So he's probably going to be out I would imagine at least the first month, possibly two months, because he had that shoulder surgery after the season in, what, July? So, end of June, beginning of July. So we'll see when Alex Tuck returns. That is a big blow, but I'm excited to see Nolan Patrick. He is a former second overall pick of the Philadelphia Flyers. The Flyers shipped him off in that massive three-team trade in the offseason. And then he signed a deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. So here he is on his second NHL team, getting a fresh start. He had all the migraine issues that he had in Philly. So obviously that didn't help having those injury issues, and especially one like that. And then last season, you look at how he played, and he did struggle. Only four goals, nine points. And he played in almost every game last season. And then he was also a minus 30. If you actually take that into account, which as I always say, and as my co-host on my other podcast, Tip of the Iceberg, always says, Looking at plus minus doesn't mean anything unless it's really bad. And a minus 30 is really bad for Nolan Patrick. Is he going to have a bounce back? I don't think he's going to be that bad. Going to a new team. From all, for all intents and purposes, I've heard he's playing very well in training camp and he's looking pretty good in training camp. So I'm excited to see him on a new team. And if he can hit, and if he can meet the expectations that we had for him when he was a second overall pick, then Vegas looks like geniuses for bringing him in. And he's on a low cap hit too, so it's low risk for Vegas. Potentially very high reward. So keep an eye on Nolan Patrick this year. And the thing is, if he doesn't pan out, they still are very good. The rest of the star players are back. You have Max Pacioretty. You have the Golden Misfits line. And then you have your 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 captain coming back. One of the superstars of the league, Mark Stone. His second year as a captain, his first full year as a captain. He, he's going to be great this year. He's going to be a Selkie nominee. He's going to put in plenty of goals. He's going to be entertaining to watch. He's going to be gift-worthy all year. This guy is a superstar in the league. I'm excited more so this year than I was last year to watch Mark Stone because of a couple of reasons. And they all stem around the new TV deal for the NHL. 
how will he'll be let me try that again how will he be marketed by ESPN ESPN loves the Vegas market we'll see and he is the captain there and he is also one of the newest superstars now he's been around the league for a while but he's one of the newest superstars in the league and I would give him that moniker I like to be a little hesitant on calling people superstars, but Mark Stone is a superstar. And he does it in a different way. He plays great defensively. And then he goes out there and he puts in goals. And he plays a tough style of hockey. So I'm excited to watch him. I'm excited to watch the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm excited about the whole NHL season, really. I can't, I can't say much. My one question for the Vegas Golden Knights before I, I log off for this episode can they score in the playoffs? Obviously, that's not an issue right now because it's the beginning of October. It's literally October 1st. But once they get to the postseason, then they will get to the postseason for the fifth straight year out of five years of existence, which is still ridiculous to think about. But the biggest question once they get to the postseason is, are they going to be, be able to continue to score the entire way through? And if they will, it's going to be tough to keep them out of the Stanley Cup Finals. But again... Very premature to talk about that. For right now, I'm going to talk about them as the class of the Pacific Division, which is, in my opinion, the weakest division in hockey right now. But hey, I've been proven wrong more than once. We'll see what happens with the Pacific Division. That's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey Hotbed. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And I hope you continue to enjoy these previews. As we have one left, we'll talk about the Metropolitan Division to kick off next week on Tuesday. But like I said, that is going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey Hotbed. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week. Have a good weekend, hockey fans.